My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Let us pray. May the Lord be in my heart and on my lips, that I may worthily and fitly proclaim the gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A few weeks ago, we began a new series running through the end of July into August called The Bread of Life. And in it, we're taking a look at the entirety of the Gospel of John's sixth chapter. Some of you had a scare there. We're like, we're going through the whole Gospel of John? No, just John chapter 6. Maybe we'll do a Bible study on Wednesday night on the Gospel of John. That would be great. But until then, join us on Wednesday nights over Zoom for our Wednesday evening Bible study through the Gospel according to St. Mark. We started John chapter 6 with the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water and calming the sea. We saw the parallels between himself and Moses and Elisha. They're two of the greatest of the prophets in the Old Testament. As he multiplies bread like Elisha and provides bread in the wilderness like Moses did. And how he walks on the ways of the sea, demonstrating what was spoken from the book of Job of the description of Yahweh, of, of God who walks on the waves. Then we looked at the crowds looking for Jesus and not finding him. But when they do find him, he castigates them because they don't want him. They want him to feed them again, to meet their material needs. And then he identified himself as the son of man. And we talked about how that's an image from the book of Daniel uh, about a human ascending to the divine throne. And we talked about Jesus' humanity and his divinity. Uh, and then we talked about Jesus being the bread of life, which is where we begin today with him restating that, uh, ending with their grumbling and their unbelief. So quite a few years ago, okay, I was uh, attending a megachurch when I lived in Florida. And I would attend on and off because it was kind of far. And um, they loved to do these high-tech multimedia productions, which were very well done. Um, But they had this one evangelistic play that they would constantly rewrite and it was one of those plays that like, used really intense scenarios to scare people into uh, making a decision for Jesus, right? to raise their hand at the altar call. And on reflection, I mean, it's kind of manipulative. You know? It would be like, you know, I'm not, I, I can't remember everything that they did, but there's, you may have seen it yourself. You know, there's a play, uh, and in the play, you know, two people are on the airplane, which I think where this one was set. These two guys were talking on the plane. At the end of the plane, the one guy's a Christian, the one guy isn't, and then the plane crashes. And the whole, the whole plane ride is a conversation between the Christian and the non-Christian. Then the plane blows up at the end, and the Christian goes to heaven, and the non-Christian you know, kind of goes to hell. And then there's all these little stories interspersed with there to like, scare you into trying to believe you know, in Jesus. And um, I remember, I mean, it was a pretty intense, intense show. And um, anyway, I'm not going to pass any more judgment on that. But in one part of the show, I remember... That the two gentlemen who are sitting on a plane, right? The, the Christian guy was talking to the non-Christian. And um, the, during their conversation, I'll never forget this. The Christian guy says to the non-Christian character, you know, Charles Darwin, right? When he died, you know, he, he uh, recanted of his belief in evolution on his deathbed. And he made a saving profession of faith in Jesus. And at the time, I was reading up on a lot of some of this stuff, and I knew that that was not actually true, that that was one of those Christian urban legends 
that's kind of floated around out there. Have you ever heard of, like any Christian urban legends? You know, they're, they're kind of out there. And um, after the show, one of the performers came up to us and we were talking because I was there with a couple other people. And there's a group of us that were kind of sitting around, uh, standing around talking about it. And they said, well, what did you think of the show? And we were talking about the show. And I said, you know, the show was great, a little high pressure. Um, but yeah, there's that one weird scene with the two guys on the plane. And the one guy said to the other, the thing about Darwin, I said, that, that was, that's actually not true. That's actually a Christian urban legend. That never actually happened. And then the person said, well, I don't believe that. I believe that he did. And because I was a jerk face at the time, or I should say I was even more of a jerk face than I am now, I said to her, well, that's cool. But if I say I don't believe in gravity and then I jump off the top of this church, I'm still going to fall. And because I was a jerk face and that was a jerky thing to say, that ended the conversation pretty quickly. But that point... Though incredibly, well, kind of rude, not incredibly rude, maybe kind of rude. It's like on the rude spectrum, right? But it was kind of badly stated. Uh, that point that I made, it was kind of true. Just because we don't believe in something doesn't make it less true. And oftentimes we can miss out on something important because of unbelief. So we turn to the passage in John chapter 6, beginning with verse 35, and we're going to kind of take it in chunks, 35 to verse 40. And Jesus opens with, he says, I am the bread of life. And, and this comes right on the heels of the people telling him essentially to prove it regarding to his claims. Because remember, we talked about this last week a little bit. Moses gave us manna, bread from heaven in the wilderness. What could you possibly do, Jesus, to compare to that? Because remember, for them, Moses is like the guy. And Jesus... He says, I'm going to give you true manna. I'm going to give you the true bread from heaven that gives life to the world. And so they respond here, give me some. And Jesus then kind of takes it in a way they don't expect. And he goes, yeah, that bread, that's me. But it's not going to do you any good. Because even though you've seen me, you still don't believe. And remember, he called them out on following him only because of what they wanted him to do, to feed them again. And he says, all that the Father gives him will come to him, and those who come to him he will not cast away. And this giving to him is the will of the Father, that those whom the Father gives them will be raised at the last day. And he notes that those who look on the Son and believe in the Son will be those who are raised up on the last day. But what is Jesus saying about them to them? That they had just seen him, but they do not believe. So there's this qualitative difference between just seeing and seeing that leads to believing. Not everyone who looks upon the Son will believe in him. Some will look upon the Son and reject him. But those who see and believe are those whom the Father has given to him. And that end result is eternal life. Now, we have to understand that no one understood this to mean that they would never have to undergo death at all. He's not saying if you eat this heavenly bread, you'll be walking around for however long it takes for the final day to happen. He's not saying, you know, 
if Ray was alive back then, he wasn't saying, Ray, if you eat this bread, you're going to, you know, 2,000 years later, you're still going to be kind of walking around, impatient, waiting for me to return because it's been 2,000 years and you've been kind of waiting. No one understood him to mean that. They knew what he was talking about. St. Augustine reminds us that we're not relieved from carnal death or the death of our body, but we are relieved from spiritual death, our eternal separation from God. And this being relieved of spiritual death, it does have a physical component, though. Because what, get, what's get, what gets raised from death on the last day? Well, our bodies. But those bodies are changed. The St. Paul makes explicitly clear in 1 Corinthians 15.42 when he says that our perishable bodies are raised imperishable. The things, that, the body that we have that is corruptible receives or takes on incorruptibility. So we have this explicit connection between seeing Jesus and believing in Jesus in regards to Jesus being the bread from heaven. Unbelief keeps people from seeing Jesus and responding to the drawing of the Father. Now, some from the more reformed perspective will say, well, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Right? So there's this theology that God has chosen the group of people beforehand that he's going to give to Jesus. And only those people are going to be the ones that make it to the final day in faith. I'm not quite sure that's what's going on here. Because in, in, in verse 40, Jesus says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up. On the last day. Right? So it's the will of the Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. But will everyone who looks on the Son receive eternal life? No. Because there are people who will look upon the Son who will not inherit eternal life because they do not believe. And we think to ourselves today, brothers and sisters, in our own context, right? Like, how, well, how am I supposed to see and believe Jesus today? I can't see him with my physical eyes. How am I supposed to see and believe? Well, I want you ever to take a look around you. Take a second, look left, look right, and spin around. Look at the people behind you. And then look at Sean standing over there with Harbor, Right? You just saw the body of Christ. Right? You just saw the body of Christ. Because, as the scripture reminds us, he says, St. Paul writes that you, to the church, he says, you are the body of Christ. And then he says, individually, you are members of that body. He doesn't say individually, you're the body of Christ. But you... When you're gathered together as the church, you are the body of Christ. And if we gather together in worship are the body of Christ, then that's a way of seeing Christ because we also see Christ here in the church among one another as we worship together to worship Christ, but then also as the hands and feet of Christ as we serve him by serving others. And then we see Christ when we come before his table, where that hymn that we just sang, 
says that he is both the, the victim and the one who offers the sacrifice. That Christ is not only the one who offers it to God, but he is also what is being offered at the time to God. That he is the one placed, the one that is being sacrificed, whose blood is sprinkled on all of us. And so we see Christ whenever I raise up the elements, the bread and the wine, right? That's another way of seeing Christ. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Eat this, drink this, and live forever. That's seeing Christ. And if we see the body and the blood of Christ lifted up, and we eat on it, and we don't see and believe with the eyes of faith, then it does us no good. I found this fantastic. I've been reading through the sermons of St. Augustine on John chapter 6, and he talked about how, the, how Judas, who, who was, was there at the institution of, the, of Holy Communion, right? The Eucharist. And Judas received the bread and he drank the wine. But what he says is, what was good became bad because Judas was bad. And so when he received the bread and the wine, because he was wicked, that's when the enemy entered into him. And he went to go betray Jesus. So, let's talk a little bit about grumbling. So, in verse 41, it says that the Jews grumbled about him because Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say now, I have come down from heaven? And then Jesus says, you know, don't grumble amongst yourselves. What rules their unbelief here, their seeing him and not believing, is that they knew Jesus' parents, maybe from when he was younger. We know Mary and Joseph. Who does this guy think he is? How can he be bred from heaven when we know his dad is just a carpenter? He's just a woodworker with, with a little shop down the street from, from, you know, he lives next to Marty, right? We know, we know Marty. We know Mary and Joseph and his brothers and sisters. Who does this guy think he is? How can he claim to come, come down from heaven? When we know where he came from, even though they saw the signs, they don't believe. This should make us think, brothers and sisters, of the children of Israel in the Old Testament. And, and I think that, that the, the Exodus story is one of the primary ways that we understand the Christ story. Because that's the motif that the church has used to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And in the Exodus story, particularly Exodus chapter 16, which I referenced in brief last week, there's like four or five instances, maybe three or four or five instances, where it says that the people grumble. In Exodus 16 too, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And in Exodus 16, 7, it says, And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. And then in Exodus 16, 11 through 12, God himself speaks and says to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So we have then in this account, right, sort of a, a, a mini replaying of the account of the drama in the desert between Moses, Aaron, the children of Israel, and God. And Jesus feeding the people with bread mirrors the feeding of the children of Israel by the quail 
and the bread. And Jesus has provided for the people earlier, just like Moses did for the children of Israel. But then they start to grumble, just like the children of Israel did. So in response to their grumbling, Jesus, like God the Father, is going to set them straight. But he's going to intensify it by telling them what this new bread from heaven actually is. He's going to say it's his flesh. And that's going to scandalize them. And Jesus, the way God confronts the children of Israel in the Exodus story, he confronts them and he says to them, stop grumbling. And then he says, no one has seen the Father except me. And then he has the nerve to say to top it off that everything he's saying and doing, all of this was spoken of by the prophets. And then there's this clear tie again between believing and receiving eternal life. He repeats, I am the bread of life. And then he adds this fact that your forefathers ate the manna and they still died in the wilderness. But if you eat of me, you will not die. Now, we miss this, I think, because we have to remember that their forefathers all died in the wilderness after they ate the manna, the bread from heaven, that God provided for them every day because of their disobedience and their unbelief. Over and over again in the Exodus story, the children of Israel they, they, they are, God shows himself strong on their behalf with mighty miracles, right? And then Israel challenges God and then they grumble and complain against God time and time again. And then he provides for them again and he's protected them and he has led them. He has brought them out of the land of slavery into the land of their forefathers. He's promised to give them this land. And by the way, here's some manna to sustain you, bread every day that you don't have to bake. And what happens when they get to the promised land? They send out the spies. And the spies come back and they bring all this delicious fruit, these big grapes. And then they say, this, this place is great. This is like, this is like the Riviera. This is the, I don't know, what's a fancy hotel? This is like the four seasons of land. Fruit is great. The rivers are great. Everything is great. There's just one problem. We can't fight the people that are there. They're too strong for us. So, kind of sucks for us. They're terrified of the inhabitants of the land. And they come back and they report, there's no way we can do this. Even after experiencing and seeing how God has shown up for them time and time again. How God has fought for them. How God has provided for them. How God has helped them triumph when they were attacked by foes greater than they were. They forget all that because what they see doesn't move them to belief. What they see moves them to unbelief. Other than Joshua and Caleb and Moses, obviously, and Aaron, all the people refuse to obey. And as a result, God sends them back into the wilderness for 40 years until every single unbelieving person has died. And then only after that entire generation dies, their children are grown up, then they get led into the promised land. And when they finally enter the promised land, after that previous generation dies, the manna stops. So Jesus, 
is placing, I think, this conversation in this Exodus paradigm. Like the children of Israel, right? The religious leaders and many of the people, they've seen the works of God and that they continue to not believe. They refuse to listen. They refuse to see what God is doing. They refuse to acknowledge what God has done. And just like those who died in disobedience in the wilderness, those who deny Jesus, those who see Jesus and do not believe, those who do not partake of the heavenly bread, they will die just like their forefathers in sin, in disobedience, and in unbelief out in the wilderness instead of in the promised land. Right? And the promised land is representative of life in Christ, union with God. Heaven, if you want to call it that, right? And the wilderness represents eternal death, separation from God, hell. Through their unbelief, they are placing themselves in the very footsteps of their forefathers, leading them to hell instead of leading them to heaven. So like we heard in the reading from Kings, like Elijah, let us eat and be refreshed and rise again and journey until we reach the mountain of the Lord. Let us, when we see Jesus, when we look at one another and we see him here gathered together, when we see him in the bread and in the wine, when we see him and how we help those in need around us, let us not turn to unbelief, but let us turn to belief. So that we don't fall into the same camp as they did. I said this all the time, but St. Paul says that these, these stories in the Old Testament are examples for us. They're basically giant flashing neon signs saying, You see what these people did? Don't do that. If you do that, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> you're going to have a bad time. Don't do that. And I'm putting this all here for you so you can look at what they did, the choices that they made, the unbelief that they showed, the disobedience that they modeled. And if you do the opposite of that, it's going to be a lot. You're going to have a good time. You'll have a better time. And unbelief for us, brothers and sisters, it keeps us from responding to God's drawing, just like the children of Israel. And you can attend church your entire life. You can be baptized, confirmed, maybe have perfect attendance. When I was a kid, I used to win money. <laughs> the type of churches I grew up in. I knew all the Bible stuff, so I would get a quarter for everything that I knew. And then by the end of some Sundays, I'd have like three bucks in my pocket. They knew a lot of Bible. People like that can live their whole lives among the people of God. But that seeing, not mixed with faith, leads to unbelief and disobedience. As Jesus says, I think in the Gospel of Mark, quoting the book of Isaiah, you worship me, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So brothers and sisters, when we gaze 
at the bread of life. Let us believe in the bread of life and in so doing, be saved. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He says that he is the living bread from heaven. And then he says this, and we'll start talking about this next week. He says, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Church Repair Fund. Our bell tower is in need of some major renovation and repairs, and we could use whatever help you're able to give to us. If you'd like to find out more about us, check us out on our Facebook page, Zion Stone UCC, or on our website, zionstoneucc.com. Thanks again for listening. I pray that these sermons will continue to strengthen you in your walk with Jesus Christ, and may the blessings of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you.